That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to the Rhino Podcast. Brought to you by Rhino Records. Interviews with your favorite artists and bands about the songs and albums you love. Here's your host, Rich Mahan. On this episode of the Rhino Podcast, our guest is Morris Day from The Time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Rhino Podcast. We are joined by our friend John Hughes. John, how are you today? Hey, Rich. You know, running ragged, but still here and happy. <laughs> I, I like I like being busy. I know you do too. Yeah, absolutely. I always say better busy than bored, and boy, do right. we have it this week. Oh, for sure. A, a big week for us with Joni Mitchell, right? Oh, absolutely. It's huge. Ladies and gentlemen, it is the 50th anniversary of Joni Mitchell's masterpiece, Blue. And big announcement for all Joni Mitchell fans today. There is a five-song digital EP of outtakes and demos from Blue that is out now. Go check it out. It's out digitally. It's amazing. And that goes along with our Joni Mitchell Archive series, which is continuing with remasters of her first four albums, all in celebration of Blue's 50th. It is the reprise yeah, it's reprise. You know how yeah. I know it's reprise? Because uh, someone told me a little rhyme once a long time ago. When I said reprise once, they said, please, it's reprise. <laughs> and I've never forgotten that. The reprise albums, 1968 to 1971, debuts newly remastered versions of Song to a Seagull, Clouds, Ladies of the Canyon, and of course, Blue, which, by the way, was recently named the number three album on Rolling Stone's list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. I Not mean, too shabby. Yeah. Right. Everyone who pre orders the CD or LP version of the reprise albums from JoniMitchell.com will also receive an exclusive limited edition 7x7-inch print of the self-portrait featured on the cover art. Now, that's at JoniMitchell.com, so make sure you go there. The four CD, four LP, and digital versions are available July 2nd from Rhino. And I will also add that hot off the presses, the second Joni Mitchell archive release has mm. also just been announced, and that comes in October. So plenty for Joni Mitchell fans out there right now. You know, it's a little bit of feast and famine with Joni. There was so little over the last few years, and now it's just a cornucopia. Yeah, great stuff. Meanwhile, Lindsey Buckingham is back. He's announced his first solo album in a decade. Lindsey Buckingham, self-titled, of course, is his first solo release since 2011's Seeds We Sow and follows his departure from Fleetwood Mac. As with the seven studio and three live albums he has released as a solo artist, beginning with the awesome Law & Order from 1981. I love that record. Yeah. The new project showcases Buckingham's instinct for melody and his singular finger-picking guitar style. 
written, produced, and recorded by Lindsay at his home studio in L.A. The album is going to be on vinyl, CD, and of course on all digital and streaming services. A limited edition blue vinyl version is also up for pre-order, and this is at lindsaybuckingham.com. Lindsay Buckingham is due out September 17th, 2021, this year, this September, on Reprise. Please, it's Reprise. <laughs> yeah, I'm really looking forward to this because he's just such a fabulous guitarist at the finger picking. He's so good at it. And it's so great to see him bounce back after the health scare that he had last year or year before last. And he's looking and sounding better than ever. So really excited about this new record from Lindsay. I love that he's just fearless. I mean, he's not afraid to just do some stuff that you go, what? wait, what was that noise in the background? And what was that bizarre uh, uh, chord change there? And it ends up being so good. Yeah, he's an original for sure. Absolutely. So you've got some homework. You need to go to lindsaybuckingham.com. You need to go to joanimitchell.com. And of course, as always, for the latest music news from us, you want to go to rhino.com. Thank you so much, John. We'll see you next time. All right. Well, front man for the time, Morris Day is our guest today. Many people became familiar with Morris and the time via their roles in Prince's movie Purple Rain, and the time went on to become an international sensation. Morris's relationship with Prince goes back much further than that, and we'll find out how they came to work together to create so much great music. Morris Day, welcome to the Rhino Podcast. Thanks very much for being here today. Hey, thanks for having me. We've got a great release coming up as part of Black History Month. The album, your first album, The Time, is getting an expanded edition release on July 16th, special 2LP red and white vinyl, featuring single edits of five of the album's songs. It's got to be cool to see this stuff get reissued. It's it's great. You know, um, it's nice to see the music and it's still hanging in there. People are still digging it. So, you know, it's an honor for me. Let's go back to the beginning. Where did you grow up? Well, early days, I was born in Springfield, Illinois. My mom relocated us to uh, Minneapolis. I was eight years old and um, she, we were supposed to be on our way to California, which I was looking forward to very much. But yeah. for some reason, we stopped in Minneapolis to visit my sick aunt and um the next 20 years we were there my man <laughs> <laughs> well as fate would have it that worked out pretty well for you what were some of your earliest musical memories in the early days um i can remember in the projects three or four years old you know um we had a little am radio by the uh, wash machine man I, I i used to love the beatles back then so I would have my ear right up on the radio listening to um, I Want to Hold Your Hand and all of those um, songs. And and then we were one of the first families in the projects in Springfield. In 64, it was, we got a color console TV. And that changed my life because I was watching American Bandstand and I saw these Motown acts on there, you know, the uh, the Four Tops and uh, the Supremes and all that. And I said... I want to be in that box doing that. You know? 
Yeah. So how'd you get your hands on it? Were you always just a singer? Did you play any instruments growing up? You know, I was just into music. You know, I'd run around the house dancing, doing the James Brown, you know, uh, uh, listening to anything I could. Um, I just, you know, and then I started wanting to play the drums. You know, I was into James Brown and I just loved the drummers that James Brown had. And, yeah. you know, I was uh, beating on the um, edge of my mom's couch until I wore the material out, basically. And um, finally, uh, she caved in and got me my first drum set. And, you know, that that was a love affair for me. I was every day drumming every day. And um, that's really how it started for me. Well, that's a huge thing to get your first instrument as a kid, for sure. And a drum yeah. kit is not an easy instrument to have in the house. So your mother loved you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we, we had a system. So um, I was in the basement and she would just come to the basement door at the top of the stairs and flick that light switch on and off. And that minute time, it's time to stop. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome so yeah. by the time you got into high school you went to high school with prince you guys formed a group grand central did you play drums originally in that well i didn't go to high school with prince um okay he went to central which was on the south side but he lived on the north side and i went to north which was obviously on the north side but one day and what i like to say is uh it's in the book it's in the uh, on time of Princely Life and Funk Moore's Day memoirs. And uh, <laughs> what I always like to say, it's in the book. But um, I was going to this high school dance to meet up with this girl. And um, I got there and it was at North High in the lunchroom after hours. They turned it into a little party spot for the for the uh, students. This band, Grand Central, was playing. Um, you know, these guys are 13, 14 years old. You know, Prince is on the guitar. He's playing Carlos Santana solos, like note for note, like like he's 21 years old. And, you know, Andre Simone's on the bass and he's ripping it up. And the whole band was just awesome. And I forgot why I was there. I don't think I said three words to the girl I was supposed to be meeting. I just stood there mesmerized watching the band. Yeah. And um, I later got to know Andre Simone. Andre comes by my house one day. We're skipping school. You know, uh, we go upstairs where my drums are. And, you know, I tell him I play, you know. So I, I went through some of my Tower of Power songs, What Is Hips, uh, Soul Vaccination, all of that. And, you know, I got done playing. And Andre's sitting there, eyes stretched wide open, looking at me. I was like, what's up, man? He's like, man, I didn't know you could play like that. And so he said, you know, we're having trouble with our drummer. So you should come by audition, man, see what everybody thinks of you. So I went by set my drums up. Long story short, my drums never got broke back down. I was in the band. I was in heaven, man. Man. And so what kind of gigs were you guys doing back then? Just high school dances? I mean, were you too young to be in real clubs yet? My mom started managing the band after she realized how good we were. She was able to get us in, you know, the VFW clubs and little uh, clubs like that, as long as we just did our our sets and went backstage after that and stayed there. So we were doing a little bit of everything, you know, um, yeah. park gigs, uh, you know, school gigs and VFW gigs, whatever we could do. And was that band Grand Central? Yes, it was. Okay. So take us from how you guys, Prince at some point, I guess, decided he wanted to focus on a solo thing. And so how did you get from Grand Central to Prince going and doing his own thing and then putting together the time? I mean, the, the whole thing about Grand Central was these guys were so serious minded. 
I always thought that I wanted to be in the music business, but I didn't talk like that. But every after every gig, you know, they're like, man, him and Andre, like, when we make it, man, when I make it, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And Prince was just always a super serious-minded musician. So he had his eye on the prize. Unbeknownst to us, you know, he started talking to Owen Husney, started managing him. You know, they ended up getting him a, a, a deal with Warner Brothers really quick. And, you know, that was kind of the beginning of the end of Grand Central. But, you know, later on, you know, he helped me get my thing going. So, you know, uh, it was all good. Yeah. Uh, riding side lifts all boats, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. So I read that the time came out of an existing Minneapolis funk R&B band called Flight Time. Is there any basis to that? Yeah, there is. Um, eventually, I moved away after Grand Central disbanded. We started a band called Champagne. That was kind of short-lived. And my mom moved us from Minneapolis to uh, Maryland. You know, I was doing odd and in jobs, whatever you call sure. that. And, yeah. um, you know, eventually moved back to Minneapolis. You know, Prince was, you know, really glad that I was back, you know. Um, so we started hanging out, man. And um, I really wanted the drumming spot, you know, in his band. Sure. But he's like, I already have a drummer, you know, so, and, you know, just point blank like that, you know, you know, he said, but you can come out and video my shows. So I went out, video the shows and he said, and you can use my studio anytime you want. So when we weren't video and we were, came off the road, I started using his studio and I cut a track that ended up being party up it was slower, funkier, no lyrics. He wanted it. He said, I will give you. I don't know, 10, 15, whatever he said, $1,000, or I'll help you start your own band and get you a record deal. Of course, I took that. Yeah. That's really, you know, that was really how we transitioned. And then we started putting the band together. Prince had a, a lot of musicians, local musicians in mind, but I had heard Jimmy and Terry, and we had been, you know, uh, competing against each other, Grand Central competing against Flight Time, and they were always a great band. But I'd also heard some of their production work that they had done. And it was really awesome. So I decided that I wanted them. And fortunately, Prince let me win that argument. So we basically ended up using out of flight time, Jimmy, Terry, Monty, and even Jellybean. That's really how that all came about. And folks should know that the Jimmy and the Terry are Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. That's right. That's, That's right. right. Huge, <laughs> huge, 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 huge. So the first album's the time. You guys get that out. Your self-titled album. The band's credited on it, but Prince, being Prince, he played every instrument on that one, didn't he? Yeah, just about. You know, um, you know, I, I played drums on most of them. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was the drummer for the time for the basically the first two albums, and that's how Prince and I created. We would we would start jamming. He'd be on a bass, I'd be on the drums, and uh, we catch a groove that we liked, and then we would work that groove to perfection and then um cut it up spice up the tape and then he would come back and layer it and so that's basically how we worked so your first single off there get it up made it to number six on the r&b chart what did that feel like man you, you put out an album you put out a single and you got a top 10 hit it was amazing you know it was amazing really just for the first time ever to hear your song on the radio was just, it, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's undescribable, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's magical, you know? So, and, and the, and the trip of that was in Minneapolis, 
there was no really progressive stations, urban stations. You know, we had one KUXL that basically broadcasted from sunup to sundown and had like a half mile radius. <laughs> so, the, you know, when we got to, uh, we went to LA, you know, to um, do a, um, a, something for the record company for Warner Brothers. And no sooner, we rented a station wagon and all the guys piled in it. No sooner than we got on the 405 leaving LAX, our record came on the radio and oh. it was amazing, man. You know, it was crazy. Because you're excited to be in LA anyway. You just talked about wanting to get to California when you were a kid. Now you're there, yeah. and the first yeah. thing you hear when you turn on the radio is yourself. That had to blow your mind. No, it was, it was, it was. Uh, it's hard to describe, and it was crazy. Yeah, yeah. Well, that record went gold, and you had two more singles off there. The second one is Cool, and both Get It Up and Cool. Man, they're jams. These are like 10 minute songs, and they just <laughs> keep cooking. You wonder how you do it. Just one simple rule I'm just cool You know, our songs were born out of jam sessions. So, you know, we ended up with these long and, and the parts were so great. We're like, well, we can't get rid of that. We got to, you know, we got to put something on top of that. So, you know, that's really how it all, you know, came together. The third single off your first album was Girl, which is a heartfelt ballad and a great juxtaposition to the upbeat jams. How do you approach singing a heartfelt ballad like Girl differently than songs like Cool or Get It Up? You know, it's always, the songs are always emotion driven, whether it's upbeat or ballad. The whole key to uh, to um, doing a song and singing a song for me is uh, the emotion. Uh, so, and that's what, you know, Prince really taught me as really being a great songwriter and producer. You know, he always, we would go through and I mean, very meticulously go through vocals and you know, he would pick the more emotional lines that I would sing. And that would, whether that be a, a, a an upbeat song or a ballad, you know, he, yeah. you know, he, he just taught me to go and find the emotion in that moment. very cool so he was more into the vibe and the emotion that you would put into something versus technical perfection 
Absolutely. Yeah, that's cool. Absolutely. It was all about the emotion and the feel of it. Did you guys start touring with Prince like right after the first album? When was your first tour with him? Yeah, yeah. We started first. We went on a little um, chitlin circuit tour ourselves, <laughs> doing little small uh, roadside clubs and and um, just getting our chops together sure. and uh, and 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 learning, you know, how to uh, be in front of an audience because I was basically um, new to the front of the stage. You know, I was a drummer by by nature, and so being pushed out in front, you know. Um, that was very new for me. And we just did all these little small gigs. And then finally Prince said, Hey, you know, it's time for you guys. You guys are ready. And he put us on with them. And, um, uh, we were out, you know, uh, opening up for Prince, you know, and, and, uh, it was Prince. Well, it was actually, uh, us zap and Prince. Wow. What a lineup. Oh yeah. And was that the controversy tour? I believe so. Yeah. So, there's <laughs> we got to talk about the food fights. What happened there, man? What started the food fights on that tour? Prince started the food fights. And I don't know why, you know, it was the last day um, gig of the tour. I believe it was Cincinnati or one of those Ohio cities. And um, he just gets the bright idea. He and his band are going to start throwing eggs at us while we're up on stage <laughs> trying to do our thing. <laughs> and, it was very unnerving because, you know, I, w- I had never been challenged by somebody menacing, you know, us from the side of the stage. So you got <laughs> eggs flying. You're trying to do your thing. You got an egg flying past your head. You're trying to keep from getting hit by an egg. It was just the craziest thing, man. And, and you know, so we get done. We come off stage and he's just cracking up, you know, he's just and and but he threatens us and says, you guys better not try and do that to me and he shouldn't have said that we sent our guy our road manager we said go to the store get us about six dozen eggs <laughs> and you know and, and um you know it was on man came back and he goes on stage and of course the eggs was flying <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's funny that is hilarious yeah, yeah, yeah. you guys must have had a blast on tour for sure yeah we had a great I'm time sure you did so the album after that, what time is it? That does even better. It went to number 26 on the Billboard 200. Also went gold. Gigolos Get Lonely 2 was one of the singles. This song has a seriously sexy groove to it. Tell us about that one. Yeah. Yeah, Gigolos Get Lonely 2, that was, um, you know, that was theme for us, you know, because, you know, our theme was cool. And then, you know, uh, being a ladies' man, and so... You know, of course, you know, we had to bring gigolos into the equation. And, um, you know, it was just one of them cool songs. You know, it's it's funny because a lot of groups, you know, really try to, especially male groups, you know, want to pull in the females, you know, yeah. um, as an audience. And, 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 of course, you know, that was part of our goal, too. But, you know, we always, and to this day, you know, the fellas always love us and they always say, hey, man, you know, what y'all did really was defining, you know, for us. We get that so much. And so I think that's what Gigolos Get Lonely 2 kind of did for us. You know, it kind of helped us solidify the fellas that listen to us, you know. This was
Well, you guys went back out on tour with Prince, the 1999 Triple Threat Tour. You had Vanity <laughs> Six on there, too. You supported Vanity Six. How cool was that? It's cool. And while you were on the road, you started to record your next album, which is Ice Cream Castle, which is, I think for a lot of folks, this is the first time they heard you because this album blew up, of course, because of your involvement in Purple Rain. Exactly. So much going on in your career at this moment. Time must have just been flying by for you. Yes. Um, uh, it, it was um, it was crazy, you know, because we had we had achieved, you know, a, a fair amount of notoriety and fame, you know, just off of our radio success. And but once the movie came out, it just it was uh, it was like, uh, you know, steroids, you know, it was on steroids, you know, yeah. our, our records. um Jungle Love and the Bird. I mean, I was hanging out in L.A. a lot, although at that point I was still living in Minneapolis, but I couldn't change the channel in L.A. without hearing one of those songs. It was crazy. We were in heavy rotation everywhere. It was the craziest. The Bird on Ice Cream Castle. You guys recorded a studio version of that, but you used a live version for the record. Why did you choose the live one over the studio cut? You know, that was Prince's decision, you know, and I wasn't happy with that because the studio version to me was incredible. And so I kind of wanted to to rock that first. And then I wanted to come back, you know, with the live version. But he was like, no, we're going with the live version. Great decision on his part, because he put us in a category that has few, few members and that's having a live hit record. A lot of people, you know what I'm saying? A lot of people haven't pulled that off. No, that doesn't happen very often at all. At yeah. all. Yeah. It doesn't happen anymore at all. And back then, you know, you had your Peter Framptons, you had a few people, but there was very few people who actually had a live recording that was a hit record. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, the other one off of that too, I mean, that the bird was massive, but Jungle yeah. Love, man, yeah. this is this is the song when every, I think if everybody's going to say, oh, the time, the first thing that pops into their mind is Jungle Love. You could not yeah. get away from this video on MTV. It was in constant rotation. No, you couldn't. It was, it was incredible. Of course, this is the one where you call out Jesse and Jerome, who I think their fame was encapsulated in this song. <laughs> It's a big one. It's a jam. And the dances in that, how did you guys develop your stage moves? 
we just, you know, Prince guided us through a lot. You know, he was like, you guys need to do this here, this there. And then some of the stuff, you know, once we got out, got on stage in front of people, we started doing crazy stuff. You know, we started, um, me and Terry and Jerome would go over to the side stage and we, you know, kind of do the bird, you know, and Prince was like, don't do that because it looks too much like, you know, this dance that he did, which, which the, the one where he's like, Ow, you know, doing his hands. But it really doesn't look the same. But anyway, we would do that. And he's like, don't do that. And then he shows up, you know, with the bird, the groove, the bird. And so, you know, he said, don't do it. But then he ended up loving it. And so we ended up with a hit record off of it. But a lot of it was born just out of us just uh, doing what we do and um, being on stage and just having a good time. And then, you know, we do stuff and then we say, hey, we need to synchronize this and do it every time, you know? Yeah, right. Well, so much happened. And I imagine you probably worked a lot of this out at First Avenue, which was a very popular and famous club in Minneapolis. What was it about First Avenue that made it such an important part of your guys' scene? Well, you know, Rich, I have to say, you know, First Avenue was not the club that, was depicted in, in, in the movie, you know, first Avenue was really a rock club. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there was not very many black people that went to, uh, first Avenue, um, and, or even felt welcome there for that matter. But, you know, for some reason, Prince chose first Avenue and he made it look like this really multicultural, like party place, the, you know, what you want to be. And, and, and that's, you know, that kind of transformed that club and kind of gave it that look and feel, but you know, that really wasn't how first Avenue was, but yet and still that's the way it went down. And, 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 and we ended up, you know, now you go there and, you know, go on their wall of fame, guess who's there, you know, uh, Morris day in the time, you know, yeah. on the wall. So it, at the end of the day, it's all good. Well, you guys broke up for a while. You got back together, did 1990s Pandemonium and the related movie Graffiti Bridge. Your character had a club called Pandemonium in the movie. Uh, <laughs> so Jerk Out was a, a big hit off this album. Our biggest hit. As a matter of fact, you know, Jerk Out went to number nine. A lot of people don't know this. They, if you ask, they may say it was Jungle Love or The Bird, but Jerk Out went to number nine on the Hot 100. And that was our highest pop charting how was this recorded because uh, if you look at the credits on it you don't see prince on this one did did the time finally handle all the recording duties on this song no it was a vault song and you know prince was very generous you know with you know giving credit and um you know kind of putting himself in the back seat but it was a vault song that he had recorded we told him when we um when we started that album, that, that project that we wanted to go into the vault and pull a few songs out. And he was like, okay, you know, you can do that. And so Jerk Out was one of them. I got real bored on a Friday night. I couldn't find a damn thing to do. So I pulled out a suit about the same color as my BMW. I drove to the party and I stepped on in to see what I could see. Everybody knew what I was looking for. I was looking for some company. That's right. Jerk Out. I know that you've got some shows booked. Now yeah. that things are starting to open up with the pandemic easing, are yeah. you ramping things up? Are we going to see a lot more of Morris Day out on the road? Absolutely. You know, um, 2020 was um, 
a very interesting year. I'm glad that we got through it. You know, uh, it, it, it kind of, I think it taught a lot of people very valuable lesson about life and how fragile everything is, you know, everything that you do, your work, you're being able to go out in the workplace. And, um, you know, it taught me a valuable lesson. And so now that things are starting to open back up, you know, I'm energized, you know, I'm ready to get back at it. And I'm uh, just thankful. And I feel blessed that, you know, people still want to see us. And uh, so we're going to go out there and we're going to give the world our all and just let everybody know what time it is. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> and where should everybody go online to check out the latest on what you're up to? Check out MorrisDayEntertainment.com. You know, go to the Cool Life store, you know, buy you some cool items and, you know, see what we're up to and um, just, you know, stay in the loop with us. Excellent. Morris, thank you so much. We're looking forward to seeing you out on the road and all the best to you. Thank you, my friend. You can walk all Thanks very much to Morris for spending some time with us and giving us the backstory on so many of his hits. Morris Day and the Time are booking a bunch of shows, so make sure to check out MorrisDayEntertainment.com for the latest dates so you can go get your funk on. Also make sure to check out the re-release of the Time's first album coming July 16th as part of Black Music Month. It's expanded with some new remixes. Take care, and we'll see you next time. Thanks very much for tuning in. Don't forget to listen and subscribe on iTunes so you don't miss the next Rhino podcast. Producer for Rhino Entertainment, John Hughes. Produced for Rhino Entertainment by Rich Mayhem Promotions. All rights reserved.